morning. So that gives you a little bit of a picture of what the Set Free Weekend will look like on January 27th and 28th. As Colton mentioned, you can sign up um, on our uh, app or on our website. And we've been uh, looking forward to doing this weekend together for a while. And uh, not that we think uh, a weekend is the end all and be all, uh, but there's certain things that just take time that we don't have time for on a Sunday morning. And so the hope is, as we go through the series Break Every Chain series, uh, we'll understand the importance of why it's important that we uh, experience freedom. And it's for our benefit, but also for the benefit of others and uh, the calling that God has on our lives that we can step fully into that and what He's uh, called us to do and who He's called us to be. Because um, I don't know about you, but I have found, as I mentioned last week, that there's certain points in my life uh, where you get surprised by yourself that you thought you'd be further along than where you are. Uh, these moments of reflection where you find yourself struggling with the same things that you've struggled with your, your whole lives. You feel stuck on the same types of things. You react in the same ways um, in different situations. And you, you're frustrated. You're like, how come I can't uh, receive transformation? And how come I'm still the same person as I was? Uh, and for many of us, that's been our experience, right? We believe in this gospel. We're following Jesus and believe that he changes lives. And we believe that intellectually, but practically, uh, we find that we're much uh, the same person as we were. Uh, and, uh, and I think that this is primarily because uh, in the Western world in particular, we have fallen into this trap of thinking that the gospel is a set of doctrines or ideas that we need to believe intellectually, and that's kind of the end of it. And although there are truths to believe intellectually, Jesus primarily invites us to follow him. The invitation of Jesus is to a way of life. It's not to listen to ideas or think rightfully about ideas. It's actually put certain things into practice, and as we live that out, we experience his life uh, in us, working through us. Uh, and so it's important not just to think about these things, but actually move into action on these things. Uh, and so I'm really excited about spending that Friday and that Saturday together, uh, moving forward and saying, what does this practically mean for us to start to put into practice these things that Jesus told us to do, uh, and then experience greater freedom in our lives and also in our church? Um, I'm excited what this would mean for us individually, as individuals. Uh, I don't know which uh, areas you might be stuck in, but I'm also uh, very... Uh, ent- I'm anticipating the change that uh, this practice, not only in this weekend, but what it starts to create in our community. Um, And I look forward to being a more honest, uh, vulnerable, and safe community as we walk in freedom uh, together. So I encourage you to sign up uh, for that uh, as we plan and uh, look forward uh, to what God is going to do in us that weekend. Uh, Last week, uh, I was talking about... uh, Again, why we get stuck, because our idea of salvation is primarily something that has happened to us when we choose to follow Jesus with our lives. Uh, But the word salvation is the the Greek word sozo. Everybody say sozo. So sozo, uh, we translate salvation, and the meaning of that word has multiple layers. And so yes, it does mean to be saved, but it also means to be healed, and it means to be delivered. Uh, And it is uh, clear when you read Scripture that it's not a one-time event, but it is something that happens through the course of our lives, that we are continually being saved, we're continually being healed, continuing to be delivered. Uh, And there's different aspects to what that looks like. And so as we mentioned last week, uh, 
God gave us new lives to us. That's what it means when we become saved. And that happened when we chose to follow Jesus, that, that God gave his life to us. It's a one-time event. God justifies us. Secondly, that the moment that you say you receive the gift of salvation, the free gift of grace and forgiveness that God gives us, uh, that we are justified, that we are in right standing, no matter what we've done in our lives before God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So that is a one-time thing that happens. God adopts us. He brings us into the family. We are sons and daughters of God. We're part of his family. Um, And that happens, again, in the moment that we give our lives over to Jesus. But that is the beginning of a journey. It's not the end of the journey. And so as we begin that journey, God sanctifies us. And we spent last week talking about that word sanctification. Uh, And there's there's an ongoing element to sanctification. It's kind of a fancy-sounding word, but really what it means is to be transformed to be changed. And we're in the process, we're always in the process of being changed. God's Spirit is always working at us to become uh, more like Jesus, to be more Christ-like. And there's a day where that will ultimately happen uh, when Jesus returns, but we are in the process of becoming more like Him uh, as as we reflect who He is uh, to the world. And so God invites us to experience transformation. Uh, And this is the expectation that Jesus had when He went to His disciples, and he said, follow me. It wasn't just a one-time decision to follow him, it was to follow him through their lives, and then watch the hand of God at work in their lives as they, as they followed Jesus. Uh, Jesus in John uh, chapter 8 says this to the Jews that were believing in him, and following him, and trusting him. Jesus said to them, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and have been slaves, and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And we learn in Romans that all have sinned. And so we are all uh, born in this place of slavery to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, many of us believe this intellectually, as I said, but then we go through our lives, and do we actually believe, do we actually experience this freedom that God has made us free indeed, that we can look back and say, you know what, I used to be here, and now I'm here. I used to get stuck here, but now I'm moving forward. I used to have this addiction, or this habit, or this destructive behavior, and now I've changed. Have we actually experienced this freedom indeed that Jesus promises to those who will follow him. And what happens over time is that, is that if we believe something intellectually to be true, but experientially we haven't experienced it, this gap starts to happen, and then we're tempted to hide and pretend. But the irony is that our sin and these habits flourish when we hide and we pretend. And the church ought to be the place where we can be most honest, most vulnerable because it's the place where grace resides because of what Jesus has done. But ironically, it often becomes the place where we find people hiding and pretending because we're professing something to be true, but we're not living it, and we haven't experienced that freedom in our lives. And so it takes a, it takes a step of vulnerability and courage to say, I am going to not just believe something to be true, I'm going to begin to live this out and test Jesus to see if it's actually true, to see if what he says is actually true. And if you uh, go back to what Jesus begins to say, he says, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, if I were to rewrite the Bible, uh, which I don't recommend, uh, 
that would, you know, God probably wouldn't like that. But if I were to rewrite it based on, you know, you know, my default patterns of thinking, what I've experienced in our culture, the types of things we say to each other, we might write something like this. So I take this from Matt Dick, 832. Um, we would probably say something like this. If you are set free, then you will know the truth and you will hold to my teaching. You know, I'm trying to articulate the way that we often think. You know, when God sets us free, then we will know the truth. And then at that point, we can actually move forward in behavior and following him after we've been set free. But Jesus says it the exact opposite way. And this is so important. If you hold to my teaching, whether you're convinced or not, whether you believe that Jesus is really true or not, if you put into practice what he has taught us, then... Out of that, you will know the truth. And this is not just intellectual truth, but this knowing is experiential. That we will know, yes, in our minds, but also in our experience, what is actually true. And as we experience that, we will be set free. And those people that the sun sets free are free indeed. We think the opposite. We think, well, once I get you know, out of this, then I can finally follow Jesus. No, Jesus says, no, start following me, start behaving me, start putting into practice the thing as I've asked you, and then you will start to see that what I've said is true. Then you will start to experience the freedom that I've promised is available to you, but you actually have to do some work and put into some practice. Um, And so this idea of sanctification, of being transformed, of being changed, is not just something that Jesus does in our lives. It's something that we participate with him in, doing in our lives. As it says in Philippians, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We see in this verse that God works and that we work. That we're working out, which I know a lot about, as you can see. Um, you know, the, and, and so this idea of working out, you know, where, what does this word mean when we use that phrase? Well, it means that you're putting in something to practice. You know, I don't go to the gym one time a year and then say, you know what, I work out. No, uh, if someone who says I work out is usually somebody that is going regularly to the gym and doing what? They're pushing uh, weights. They're lifting weights. They're, they're putting themselves through this experience that has a resistance and has a struggle to it. And as we participate in this resistance, in this activity, in this working uh, Paul is saying here that God actually meets us in that work. That he is actually transforming us and his power is actually enabling us to change the, thing, the way that we think, the desires that we have, and also empowering us to act now in a new kind of way. There's a power element here that is not available to us in our, on our own, but is only available to us through the Spirit, but we participate with the Spirit as we work out our salvation. I remember uh, in, when I was 16, when I got my driver's license, my older brother had a, uh, this Ford truck, and it was a stick shift, and I, and I loved it. I thought it was great. And then, uh, and then he moved away. He went to uh, school, um, and so his truck was sitting at home, and it got to be my vehicle uh, for a year while he was away, and it, it was great. The problem is I didn't know how to drive stick, but I didn't know, I didn't know how to drive stick. Uh, and so I had to run uptown one, 
one day, and I remember getting in the truck, um, and I was like, this is my first time. I'm, I'm going to give it a go. Um, and I, I don't know if any of you guys know how to drive stick or you remember when you learned. Uh, I had nobody teaching me. Nobody saying, this is how you do it. Um, I'd seen my brother drive, like, I think I could figure it out. And so I got in the truck, and, and I'd, uh, you know, I'd take the clutch off, press the gas, and the whole, I don't know if you've experienced this, where the like, whole f- vehicle feels like it jumps up and down, and then, it's, and then it stalls. So I get in the road, it's like, it stalls. And I'm like, ah, and I turn it on again. Same thing, stalls, like two feet at a time. I'm like going down the road, stalling, stalling. And, and while I'm doing this, there's these uh, construction workers that are working on a house about four, do- four doors down from my house that are on the roof. And I'm going to see them stop working. They're looking at the road, watching this truck like stall, stall, stall. And this, this you know, thank goodness for this uh, one guy who had pity on me. He comes down off the road. He, he uh, comes to, onto the road uh, and knocks on the door and says, can I help you? And I'd be like, oh, that'd be great. I've never drive stick before. And uh, and then he, he gets in and he's like, he shows me what I'm supposed to be doing. But then he looks, he's like, you see that? I'm like, yeah. He's like, do you know what that is? I'm like, no. He's like, well, that's the emergency brake. Uh, he's like, you need, to, you need to take that off in order to get the truck going and to get it moving. I'm like, ah, you know, turn the brake off. And then it was a little rough getting going, but then I was on my way and I figured it out. Um, you know, but here I am. I, had the, I have this, this truck that has the potential, that has the, the power, the ability to move me from one place to the next. Uh, but the thing that was missing was my ability to participate in it. You know, the truck wasn't going to get me there on my own. I actually had to practice. I had to learn. I had to figure out. I had to be told. And then I had to put into action the things that I was being told after somebody told me to do that. See, the, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a certain way. But God designed it in such a way that we don't, he doesn't just do it on our own. He doesn't just, it's not a taxi that he, we get in and he just takes us from one place to the next. It's actually a vehicle that we get in and we participate in. We are actively driving this vehicle, but the power to move forward is not coming from us, it's coming from the Holy Spirit. So this is the, the picture that we get from Paul. God works in us as we are working out. God works in us as we are working out. Um, and, and, and there's a resistance to this working out. It's a, it's a wrestling. It, it, it's, it, it can be a struggle uh, because as we learned last week, we are wrestling with our flesh, uh, which is our desire to do things maybe in the wrong order or things that are contrary to the things that God would want us to do. And so we see this tension that Paul talks about in Romans 7 between the spirit working in us and our flesh that wants to do opposite of the spirit. And so we know that our, our deepest desires are not our strongest desires, that sometimes we feel a war between who we are and who we want to be, what we're doing, what we wish we could be doing. Uh, but over time, this is the good news, over time what Paul is saying is that this can change and that our, str- our, strong, our deepest desires can become our strongest desires. I have seen this to be true in my own life. I used to have strong desires that were very contrary to the will of God, but over time, as I put into practice the things that the Lord has told me to do, I've seen actually my will to do something different change, and I've seen my ability to choose a different path change over time. But it takes work. It takes work. Uh, and, and this is a reminder, in, in our moments, and when we make decisions, we are becoming... Uh, that is the process of making uh, of who we are becoming is in the decisions that we're making. We make decisions and then our decisions make us. We make decisions and then our decisions make us. Throughout our lives, you and I have made decisions that have changed the trajectory of our lives. This can be both good news and bad news. 
It, de- it depends on which decisions that you make. In the beginning, we have a choice, but eventually, after we make those choices, we end up with a character. But our level of self-determining freedom does not stay the same over the course of our lifetime. Our ability to choose things does not stay the same over the course of our lifetime, depending on the choices that we make. Our freedom expands or shrinks which each, with each decision that we make. We make decisions, and then our decisions make us. This is why the older you get, sometimes the harder it is to change. You know, think of the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You guys heard that saying before? You know, who says that saying? It's not young people that say that saying. It's usually old people, right? I got a lot of silence here. A lot of old people here? Or uh, how do you self-identify as an old person? Uh, it, but you can't teach an old dog new tricks. We say this type of thing because there's the, this experience that we know that over time, the way somebody is, the choices that they've made have shaped who they've become, and then it becomes more difficult to change. This is true. You know, the choices I made when I was 10 are, uh, were different, were easier in some ways than the choices I made when I was 20, and then when I was 30, and, and you know, now that I'm 40. Uh, the, the choices get harder, or they get easier, depending on which choices that you've made throughout your life. By the time you become, you know, you get to your 40s, you start to, you know, when you're younger, you think, you're thinking about the person you might become. You know, one day I might be like this, one day I might be like this, but the older you get, you start to think, this is who I am. <laughs> this is who I am. This is who I became. But the good news is that God, no matter who you are, if you're in your teens, you know, if you're in your, uh, the later years of your life, because of God's Spirit, He always invites us to change, which means that He wants us to start making decisions that will participate in that becoming to be who he's called us to be. And so this brings us to the idea of biblical freedom. When we talk about freedom, and this is a popular word that's thrown around in our world, in our culture, uh, and I don't know if there's any word that's been more misunderstood uh, in church vocabulary than the idea of freedom. And theologians and philosophers have often uh, differentiated between two different ideas around freedom. Negative freedom, which is freedom from something. It's the removal of any and all constraints on our choices so that I can choose whatever I want. That that's, would be negative freedom. Or positive freedom is freedom for not just, uh, not just the permission to choose, but the power to choose what is good. And so negative freedom, this is the, the view of freedom that is predominant in our culture, in our world. And this comes from a, a postmodern mindset uh, which, which basically has rejected any, any notion of absolute truth, that there is uh, any trust and authority, anything outside of myself that should tell me how I ought to live my life. So the postmodern movement has rejected external truth, external authority, absolute truth, uh, or somebody, uh, whether it's a, you know authority, a public figure, or a religious authority telling me how to live. And so the movement in our culture is a way from that because that view, we view that as putting constraints on the choices we make and somebody else telling us how to live and why would anybody tell me how to live I want to be free so freedom in this take is liberation literally to do whatever the hell you want nobody tell me what to do we define good for ourselves we t- to pursue and enjoy and to buy and to sell and to sleep with whoever we want and to do whatever we want. This is our cultural definition of freedom. 
Yet, I would say, how is that working for us? When people do whatever they want, do they live lives of increasing freedom? Or do they get more and more imprisoned and stuck? You know, as a pastor, I get to see this all the time, where people have made choices in the name of freedom and find themselves no longer being able to choose anymore because they're stuck. They're imprisoned. They're caught in habits, destructive relationships, and addictions. And now they're looking to figure out how to get out. Because we make decisions, but then eventually our decisions make us. And this idea of cultural freedom actually doesn't lead to any kind of freedom. It leads to bondage. It leads to captivity. Uh, The Bible talks about a different kind of freedom, and it's not just the Bible, but actually philosophers uh, throughout the centuries have advocated for this idea as well. And and Paul talks about it, Jesus talks about it, um, and they put the emphasis not on what we're free from, but what we're freed for, our ability to choose, the power to choose. For them, freedom isn't about autonomy from authority, but about the power to choose what is good, what is beautiful, what is true, that I can choose that path, and I have the capacity and ability to choose that path. And positive freedom we need, means that we need a kind of power that is outside of ourselves to overcome our strong desires so that we can choose those deepest desires that the Spirit is giving us. It's being empowered to live and to choose over and over again these deep desires so that Christ's character may be formed in us and that over time, those strong desires will be in line with our deep desires, will be in line with the will of God. The ability to choose. Now, there's a, there's a quote which is helpful even seeing the whole picture of this, uh, and nobody knows where this, this quote came from, but it sounds wise. <laughs> it says, We sow a thought and reap an act. We sow an act and reap a habit. We sow a habit and reap a character. We sow a character and reap a destiny. This is the process of becoming. And the choices that we make over time shape who we become. We don't wake up one day and become the person that we thought we would be. We, we make choices every single day that contribute to the person that we will become and are becoming. And this concept of freedom was a major reason why Jesus came. In fact, when Jesus began his public ministry, uh, he, he kind of inaugurated this moment of his public ministry in Luke chapter 4 by reading a text from Isaiah. And he gets up and he reads and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, What does this word say? Say the next word. Today. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Not someday down the road. Jesus saying what Isaiah was talking about. The freedom and the life, the deliverance, the healing, all the things that Isaiah was pointing to is fulfilled today. Why? Because Jesus showed up on the scene. This was his mission. This was his vision to bring freedom. And he articulates it. He says that God had sent, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim goodness to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And we talk about this, this in our starting point on our week two when we talk about finding freedom. Um, why does somebody become a prisoner? 
I mean, I spent a lot of time in the principal's office when I was in school. A lot of time in the principal's office. And I wasn't there because he was rewarding me or patting me on the back. You know, I was there because of choices that I made. Uh, and we become prisoners because, because it's part of the consequences of things that we've done. We, we become prisoners because of what we have done. Jesus said, I came to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And when we're in prison because of what we've done, when we've been stuck because of choices that we have made, we end up staying stuck there for a whole bunch of reasons, but we can, uh, many of us can become defensive, which is ironic. But often when we do something wrong and, and we come face to face with the thing that we've done wrong, we can become defensive. We can deny it. We can actually judge other people instead. And we judge other, we judge other people by, our intentions, by their intentions, but we actually only judge, or we judge other people, sorry, by their actions, but we only judge ourselves by our intentions. Well, I didn't mean to do that. That wasn't, that wasn't why I did that. That wasn't the outcome I was looking for. And, and it's not my fault, it's their fault. And so when we're in prison, because of something we've done, our initial reaction when we come face to face with that is actually to blame shift, to become defensive. And that keeps us stuck. But once we come face to face with what we've done, maybe we've started to come to understand that the things I've said, the decisions that I've made, I've hurt myself or I've hurt somebody else, uh, we maybe feel a sense of guilt. We feel a sense of regret. We beat ourselves up or we punish ourselves as a way of paying for the sins that we've done. We can't forgive ourselves because as we watch the devastating effects that our choices have made on the lives of others, we're like, how can I forgive myself when I can see the consequences of my own sin? But Jesus says that he has come to free us from that. When we're in prison, when we're stuck because of the choices that we've made, that's not the end of your story. No matter what decision that you've made, no matter what your past is, I guarantee you is not bad enough that Jesus can't rewrite it. It's not bad enough that he can't rewrite your story. And you don't need to stay stuck there. God has more for you than your past. But he's not just come to set free the people who have found themselves in prison because of the choices that they've made. He's also come to set the oppressed free. And who, who is in prison through oppression, it's, it's, it's people that have, are experiencing the consequences why, of what? Of the decisions that other people have made that have been done to you, that have affected you. So some of us find ourselves stuck because of choices that somebody else made, and that feels really unfair. I'm stuck in this place. I'm stuck in this addiction, in this behavior, in this place, because the choices that somebody else made or the choices that they didn't make, the neglect that happened, the abuse that happened, have actually put me in prison and put me in a place. And so we, we, we can get stuck in those places because we have fear. We have fear of maybe facing that pain again, facing the people that have brought that pain again. When we think about it, maybe we experience pain, emotional pain again, so we want to avoid it. Maybe we have resentment You know, we have this underlying anger or anxiety in our lives because of what's been done to us. And every time, you know, a certain idea or theme or person or group gets brought up, it actually brings pain, it brings resentment, it brings unforgiveness. And we hang on to our unforgiveness because we think, if I let go of my unforgiveness, then justice will never be made and that person is never going to pay for what they did. But here's the reality that unforgiveness always keeps you in prison, not the other person. Always. 
And so although we hang on to unforgiveness because we want somebody else to pay, the reality is you continue to pay for the sins that were done to you because you're clinging to unforgiveness. And and forgiveness isn't saying that what the other person did is okay. It's just saying that I'm not going to be bound by what they did anymore. And I'm actually going to choose that God would work in their story. See, the process of forgiveness is actually a process of trusting God with that other person, trusting God with justice, trusting God with redemption. We'll cover some of that on the the set-free weekend. But these are some of the reasons that we we get stuck. And when something's been done to you and you feel stuck and it feels unfair and it feels unjust, uh, we all have the decision to be a victim or a victor. And I believe that this is part of the reason that Jesus came. He's saying, do you want to be a victim perpetually or would would you like to be a victor? Would you like to move forward in strength and freedom or do you want to stay stuck with where you were? And sometimes it seems obvious, well, I wouldn't want to be a victor, but do you recognize that in our culture, we, we are moving into a time where there's an incentive to be the perpetual victim? Do you, can, can we see that? That somebody who has been victimized, who has been hurt, as horrible as it might be, when we play the victim card in our culture... There's an, it actually gives you power to bring about justice in a, I would say, in an ungodly way. And so we actually have to deny the temptation to keep being the victim. We have to do the work of actually forgiving and, doing, and looking at our pain and, and finding healing. Uh, because when we choose to be the victim, yeah, it might give us results in like the worldly sense, but it actually isn't bringing transformation in my own character, in my own life. Do you want to be a victim or do you want to be a victor? And Jesus invites us to actually a path of victory. Making someone pay for the wrong that has been done for you will never heal you. It will never heal you. And it doesn't mean they won't ever pay, but, it, but what I'm saying is that's not, your, that's not your weight to carry. So we're often found ourselves in prison because of things we've done or things that have been done to us. And let's be honest, we're, we've all experienced imprisonment because of a combination of those two. None of us have clean hands. None of us have treated other people perfectly, have made perfect decisions. And all of us have been hurt by other people. And so Jesus said, today, and if it was true 2,000 years ago, it's true still today, that today there is freedom for those who are imprisoned, and for those who are, impre- or are oppressed. And then he goes on to say this. Freedom for prisoners, recovery safe for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this line, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the idea of the, the, Lord, the year of the Lord's favor is an Old Testament idea, and it's the idea of jubilee. And there was this concept in the Old Testament that God invited his people to practice, and scholars have said uh, they're not sure if the the Israelites ever actually put it into practice, even though God commanded it. Uh, But the idea was that every set of seven, every seven, seventh set of seven years, every 50 years, every set of sevens, every 50 years, there was supposed to be this year of jubilee. And at the year of Jubilee, all the debts that people had were to be canceled. All the slaves were, be to set, were, were to be set free. All the land that had been bought and purchased was supposed to be returned. And the Jubilee, the idea of Jubilee was supposed to be this foretaste of what God wanted to do among his people. 
but even as I was thinking about the year of Jubilee, this year of the Lord's favor that Jesus was talking about this week, I, I realized that Jubilee it was never the end point. Jubilee was never the goal that God was trying to get his people to get to. Jubilee was the beginning point. Jubilee was a reset. Jubilee was the opportunity for uh, the Israelite people at the time, when, when they were called to, to practice it, to start over again. You know, your debts were free, but it doesn't mean that you had savings. Land was returned, but it doesn't mean that uh, there wasn't more to acquire. You know, slaves were set free, but it doesn't mean that they, uh, now they had work to do, right? So the, the Jubilee was always intended to be a reset. How many, how many of us have thought, man, I wish I could do that again. I wish if I could make that decision again, I would decide to do something differently. If I could be a parent again, I would parent differently. You know, if I could rehab that conversation with my spouse, if I could remake that decision that I know hurt other people or hurt myself, I wish I could do that all over again. I don't know about you, but I've had those thoughts throughout my life. If I could do that again. The year of the Lord's favor is the opportunity to be reset and to do it again. As important as freedom is, freedom is not the end goal. It's actually the beginning. It's the reset. God wants us to be free, not just because he wants us to be free, but because he wants us to live a certain kind of life, a certain type of full life, a certain type of rich life, the purpose-filled life that he created us for, the life that is going to impact generations and other people for God's kingdom. So yes, he wants us to be set free, but it's not this, this jubilee experience, this freedom experience is not the end point, it's the beginning point. The beginning for what? And I'd like to end by asking that. If you were to reset, if you could live in freedom, if you had the power to choose a different path, if you could get out of the places that you're stuck, the places that you're spinning your wheels, if you could be empowered to will and to act in a new kind of way, what could the future look like for you? If you could reset everything, how would that impact you, your relationships, the trajectory of your future, and the legacy that God wants to make through you? God's Spirit works in us as we work out our salvation, as we put into practice the things that he's called us to do. Um, as we kind of bring this service to a close, we're, we're going to take communion together. Um, and you're going to, as the song is playing, if you're here on site, you're going to get up, uh, you're invited to get up and receive the elements from the, the table. There's gluten-free options at each table. Um, and uh, as you receive the elements, uh, people will say to you, uh, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ spilt for you. Uh, and this action, this act of communion, um, is not for everybody, uh, but it's for those who want to choose to bend their knee to Jesus, those who want to choose to follow Jesus. If you're in a place this morning uh, where you want Jesus to be Lord of your life, maybe for the first time, or maybe just another uh, responding again for the hundredth time of saying, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. Uh, We invite you to come to the table. Jesus gave his body and his blood for us so that we could experience freedom and then live that out in our lives. And this is the place, the communion table is practically the place where the work of God, the action of God meets the reaction, meets our reaction. 
that we physically have a part to play in communion. There's some things that only God could do, his death and resurrection, but there's uh, something that God won't do for us, and that's the action of participating with him, of receiving from him what he wants to do in our lives. So I'd invite you, as, as we worship together, as we take the elements, uh, that you would come to the table with a posture that says, thank you, Jesus, for the work that you've done for me, but I'm also committing to the work that you have for me. Thank you for the work that you've done for me. I'm also committing to the work that you have for me. And as you receive those elements, I would invite you just to take them back to your seat, uh, and then we will take them together uh, at the end of the song. When I come back up, we'll take them together at that point. Okay, let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your body broken for us, your blood spilt for us. We thank you for the work that you've done on our behalf, and we pray that your spirit would continue to move us courageously to the work that you are asking of us as well. And so we come to the communion table reminded that it is through your death and resurrection that we have hope, that we have life, and that we have the opportunity and privilege to be transformed into your likeness. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand with me as we uh, receive the elements together. Uh, again, there was work for us, that, there was work that needed to be done that we couldn't do for ourselves, and Jesus has done that for us through his death and resurrection. And so we're reminded of that this morning, and we uh, receive that again and anew this morning as we receive the body of Christ broken for you. blood of Christ that was spilled for you for the forgiveness of sins. So as we uh, conclude, I think throughout our lives we, we end up in this battle and we're wrestling and we, we, we feel like this isn't fair. You know, it feels like the odds are stacked against you and it's true. Over the courses of your life, the decisions that have been made for you, the decisions that we've made that have been harmful to us, um, the fact that there's a very real enemy that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual authorities of the dark world, that there's an active force that's working against you, it's not fair. But Jesus, through following him, invites us to be, uh, to this place of being reset, the fight isn't fair, but Jesus actually gives us a chance to choose again. He gives us a chance to live again. He resets our slate. He makes it clean so that we can actually move forward again. And so I invite you over the course of these next couple of weeks to participate, to get unstuck. Uh, I think the Set Free Weekend is a big part of that. Um, and so I really encourage you to sign up for that. We're looking forward to what God is going to do in us through us on that weekend. So again, Father, we just thank you for what you've done, that you've done everything that we couldn't do on our own. Um, and Lord, we recognize that in this room there's many people that feel like they're stuck and they're powerless and it doesn't feel fair. And we thank you for the pathway to freedom that you've given us. We thank you that you've honored our choices, Lord, that you're not going to make us robots, that you don't choose for us, but you invite us to a place of freedom so that we can choose again to follow your spirit 
and to live lives that are pleasing to you for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Just a reminder that there's a Mexico meeting at 1 o'clock for those interested in participating. Thank mm-hmm. you.